afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Notre Dame Stadium. Zivikowski trying to get to the outside. He has blockers in front. Time for Zivikowski. Belong to beat. Shakes it off. To the five and touchdown. And now it is down. It is over. And the Irish have knocked off number one Clemson. Brady Quinn looking. Pump fakes. He rolls to the near side. Throws it. It's caught by Samaja. Inside the 20. Inside the 10. He's going in. Notre Dame has scored. Jones is the back. He's got it again. And Jones a letter room. Tony Jones makes a cut. Gets a block. And scores. Is that the play that will seal the playoff bid for Fighting Irish? What's up, everyone, and happy Thanksgiving. I'm Tyler Rojack. He's Luke Smith, and we appreciate you joining us here at Saturday during the holidays. We've got a great show in store for you today. As you know, Notre Dame is headed to Los Angeles to take on the USC Trojans on Saturday night in prime time. We're going to discuss how important this game really is to this season and the program going forward, break down USC on both sides of the ball, and go over how Notre Dame matches up. Hint, we think they match up pretty well. Uh, and then we're going to answer questions submitted by you over the past 24 hours. We got a ton of responses, especially on Instagram. So thank you to everyone who sent one in. We'll try to hit them all here. But Luke, I want to start with this. Uh, personally, this is the most excited I've been about a Notre Dame game since Clemson in 2020. And it's honestly up there with the CFP semifinal game in 2018. Am I getting ahead of myself? Where are you at on this? I mean, it's it's definitely up there, right? Just because it's the first time that a game at the Coliseum has meant something since, well, meant something for both teams, that is, since 2006. So I get it, and uh, I'm definitely excited. I, I don't know where it is on that kind of tier or echelon, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely excited for it, and I've definitely spent a lot of time trying to consume different coverage around it yeah same it's been all Notre Dame USC this week with each passing day I just get I get more and more excited and you and I will both be there on Saturday really looking forward to that but before we dive into this matchup please subscribe to the show if you haven't already and please like this video if you're watching on YouTube and if you're tuned into the podcast leave us a rate and review there as well Uh, it is the season of giving after all okay when we come back we're going to tell you why this game is so important and why there will be no more parties in LA after Saturday night DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, is my go-to when betting on the NFL this holiday season. Right now, new customers can bet just $5 on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Check this out. Right now, everyone can earn up to a 100% boost with DraftKings stepped-up same-game parlays. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app, place the same-game parlay, and combine multiple bets like which team will win, player props, point totals, and more. The more legs you add, the bigger the boost, the bigger your shot to win big. So, speaking of Thanksgiving Day, which is tomorrow, as we do this on Wednesday night, do you still like the the pick that you gave the other day with the Cowboys? I like Cowboys money line, but I'm actually going to add, give me Lions plus nine and a half. Uh, they're hot right now, and I think that's a lot of points. So, I'm taking the Lions. Okay. All right. Hard to argue with that. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code SOS. Place a $5 bet on any NFL team to win their game and get $150 in free bets if they do. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SOS. This episode is also supported by Roback. Shop game-changing activewear with Roback. For those who crave activity, use the promo code 
SUNSND, that's S-O-N-S-N-D, to get 20% off your next order in the entire store at Roback.com. But we encourage all of our listeners to check out the Shamrock Polo, which would look great on Irish fans everywhere. That's promo code SUNSND at R-H-O-B-A-C-K.com. All right, Luke, you've said on social media and in different text threads that we're in uh, that this game on Saturday night is everything. Tell us what you mean by that. It means everything. You have the potential to ruin your biggest rival's first shot at relevancy in over a decade and a half, probably, right? I mean, they haven't been relevant. If you want to count a New Year's Six Bowl, like I'm talking about national championship contention yeah. and potentially I was a high 2017. Here. Right. But really, like you're playing for a national title potentially. First time since 2000, really, five, six for them. Okay. This is a fan base that has been, as you're well aware, asleep or dormant, non-existent for that period of time as well. I think they're starting to come back alive. You can probably speak to that a little bit now. And like I mentioned in the in the open, this is the first time since 2006 that Notre Dame has gone to the Coliseum well competent and faced a competent USC team. That means everything. And like you said, I didn't think we were going to get this chance when we lost to Stanford a month and a half ago. So the fact that we're at this point is pretty remarkable, and, it, and it's setting up for what, frankly, should be a, a magical weekend in Southern California when Notre Dame just rolls USC. Yeah, I don't know how anyone could watch that Stanford game and then afterwards think, yeah, this this Notre Dame team is going to finish 9-3. and three. Just the thought of that at the time wasn't even possible. I, I had basically accepted a 7-5 and five season but now we're here, and now Notre Dame is playing in an absolutely huge game. Obviously, they don't have playoff implications for themselves, but they could spoil their arch rivals. And you and I have talked about this many times in this podcast. We consider USC to be the arch rival for Notre Dame. Some people might hate Michigan more, but USC is the rival, and the opportunity to spoil what has been pretty much a dream season for them uh, is, is certainly very exciting. But I look at it from the Notre Dame point of view, and I think – a win on Saturday could change the perception I have about this entire season. Like, even though if you look at nine and three and eight and four, it's just one game, but just the way that they could stamp this season and how bad it started. Like, we already know about the slow start and we know about the loss at Marshall and Stanford, but those aren't going away. But if Notre Dame is able to pull off a win on the road against USC, that's two top 10 wins in the month of November, it validates all of our beliefs about the development of this team and that they are truly a top 10 caliber team and probably a, a good quarterback away from competing for the playoff. But it also says a lot about Marcus Freeman and the rest of the coaching staff and the way that they were able to bounce back after a really abysmal start. So there is a ton on the line on Saturday night. Without a doubt. And I think it really gives Notre Dame a chance to, and Marcus Freeman a chance to cement this season as, all right, there were some things that got accomplished here you know, it actually brings me back to, I think there was a question that was floated around in the preseason. Basically, it was something along the lines of, would you take 9-3 and three if it meant you beat two of three of Ohio State, Clemson, and USC, and then the other two losses are more so just like ones that you didn't expect, essentially, right? And at the time, you kind of brushed that off. You're like, no, that's stupid. You want to win every game. But now that we're potentially in that position, I think the obvious answer is yes. Yeah. And Notre Dame does have the built-in excuse that they lost their starting quarterback for the season in Game 2. Now, they were going to lose to Marshall anyway, but still, that that you know stunted the growth of this team, especially this offense, and they were able to bounce back. And look, we know about the, the pains they've dealt with there at the quarterback position, but watching 
guys like Audric Estime and, and Logan Diggs become the type of players that they are now and the line develop. And, you know, they didn't get nominated for the Joe Moore Award, and I think a lot of that has to do with the, the bad start. But there's been so many guys in this team who, by the way, are going to be around next year and in the future. So building that. And then you got guys like Michael Mayer, who I, I think you and I both know and agree. This, this is going to be almost certainly Michael Mayer's last game wearing the blue and gold. And what a way to go out. Uh, what an opportunity it is for him in his last game to go on the road and beat uh, a top 10 team. And you and I both would probably agree on this. I, I think Michael Mayer has the opportunity to put up a ton of stats. So there's just so many things on the line for Notre Dame. You know, the development of the coaching staff, the record as a whole. But there's so much from this game that if they were to win, we're, we're going to ride this momentum all offseason, really. Here's the other thing is that, you know, I've actually heard, and, and this is both online, people texting me just kind of lamenting the fact that Notre Dame really just screwed themselves, not even really with the Marshall thing, but just losing the Stanford game because realistically there would be a chance that they could be in the playoff consideration with the two with two losses if they beat USC. I, I don't look at it like that at all. Like, I'm sorry, but you have Drew Pine as your quarterback and in this four-team playoff, you don't deserve to be in the playoff when you lose to a god-awful Stanford team like the worst in the Power Five outside of Northwestern. I don't care that the refs screwed them that night. They had no business winning that game. Um, but as we start to move towards an expanded 12-team playoff, this is where I actually think it gets kind of interesting, right? Because you, you're kind of that team that's like, oh, that's the hot team in the NFL that nobody wants to play in the playoff, basically. You're really peaking at the right time. And if this was a 12-team field, I think Notre Dame gets in if they beat USC. I think there's a very good chance of that if a couple things break their way. So I think just as we look at how this sport is starting to move um, and potentially this season, is it maybe a sign that there could be some more parity moving forward where there doesn't really appear to be a true dominant team? I I don't know. Uh, It could just be an anomaly. But if that's the case, as as we live in this world of the transfer portal and NIL and it's well team playoff, then, you know, you can really kind of pull some things like, how Notre Dame has finished the season in, in that setting. Yeah, so Notre Dame comes in at 15 in the most recent CFP poll. I think they probably should have been higher, but you know what? I'm not, I don't really care because yeah, there's I don't not care. the 12-team yeah. playoff right now. But I think if you look at this game in the magnitude of it all, it does suck. You don't want your rival to be winning it the way that USC has won this year. But it, in a way, it does feel like the return of this rivalry, right? Like we had that game in 2017. You and I have talked about it countless times. That is the most fun I've ever had at a Notre Dame game, and really the most fun night I had as a student there, partially because they were blowing out a top team, but the fact that it was USC made it that much sweeter, and obviously there's the inverse of that. When Notre Dame loses to USC, it's especially painful, but this Saturday, with everything on the line and the fact that it's USC, it is really exciting for me uh, to be back playing against a really good USC team in a game that actually matters for both teams. Right. It's... Basically, and if Notre Dame, you know, had one loss here, then it would mean even more. Um, and you just had the potential to really win or go to the playoff sort of scenario. Obviously, it's not the case, but it still means everything. Like I've said, um, just like the the opportunity to ruin this team season after they ruined so many just years for me growing up personally. My whole that, childhood, man, yeah, it was means, ruined. That means a lot. So, uh, yeah, I, I we're, we'll get more into this, but. I'm very excited. 
the fact that Notre Dame is not competing for the playoff in this game still means so much to us, the fan base, and the teams. This is all you need to know about this rivalry uh, and what's at stake on Saturday night. But let's get into the scouting report here because USC is a very imbalanced team. And to be honest with you, outside of Notre Dame, I have probably watched USC more than any other team this year. Uh, not always by choice, to be honest. My roommate is a USC alum, so when they're on, like he's watching them, it's on in my house. Part of it is because of my job. And uh, look, there's been a lot of talk about how incredible their offense is, and I'm sure you've been hearing about Caleb Williams all week, and you've probably grown sick and tired of it. And I am here to tell you that it's all pretty much true. Uh, I hate to say it, but they are really fucking good, especially at quarterback, and they are loaded with talent on offense. Uh, I would take Caleb Williams, his talent, maybe not his personality, over every quarterback in the country, to be honest. He's just playing that. He's that good. I think he's better than Bryce Young because he's, he's bigger, he's stronger, he's harder to bring down. They've got Jordan Addison out wide, reigning Bulletnikoff winner. He'd probably be up for the award again this year, but he was hurt, missed several games. He will be healthy on Saturday. Caleb's number one target and uh, their number two receiver Mario Williams his health status is a bit up in the air he played a little bit against UCLA he's a transfer from Oklahoma came over with Williams and Lincoln Riley I expect him to play how big of a factor he'll be I don't know their line uh, to be honest coming into the season I thought that would be a weakness it has not been and their nomination for the Joe Moore award isn't a fluke they have talent all across the field, and Lincoln Riley is one of the best offensive minds in all of football, and he knows how to get his playmakers the ball in space. They're going to run a ton of RPO. They're going to run a ton of screens, and if you start to creep up, that's when they'll hit you deep. Al Golden certainly has his work cut out for him here, and uh, the last little bit of positive things I can say about this USC offense, let's just go through it by the numbers here. They're the third best scoring offense in the country. They put up 42.7 points per game. They're actually one spot behind Ohio State, who, by the way, Notre Dame held to 21 points in the season opener. They also convert third downs 54.2% of the time. That's second in the country. That's damn good. They're second in points per play and points per drive, and they're eighth in red zone touchdown percentage. Luke, it literally pains me to say so many good things about USC, but I did I cover it all on their offense? Yeah, I mean, they've had a lot of success this year. Um, granted, a lot of that is due to just the absolutely putrid defenses they faced, um, especially through the air. And I will give Caleb Williams, from a talent perspective, a ton of credit. He's playing great. He's he's looked really good. He is really good. They haven't been tested like they will be on, on Saturday night. And I know that Oregon State, who they actually, by the way, really struggled with, is the best defense they've seen so far this year and were held to 17 points, I think. I don't know how much you can really pull from that. That game was all the way back in September. They haven't faced a, a competent defense since I would not even call Utah's defense very competent, particularly through the air. So this is going to be a big test for them. It's going to be a big test for Notre Dame, especially with Cam Hart out there uh, or not out there in, in all likelihood. Um, but I, I guess, you know, I'll get into how I really feel about USC later, but <laughs> it's just, okay, they're 10-1. and one. They have a really good offense. Who have they played? Nobody. Um, but there we go. One thing I didn't mention, losing Travis Dye was a huge deal for them. He was their leading rusher. He was literally the only player on USC who I did like just because I liked him a lot at Oregon because he gives a shit. Like when Oregon was getting smacked around by Utah at the end of the season last year, Dye was the only person on the field for Oregon that was really trying. So I have respect for him. But his out, his absence is a huge loss for USC, particularly in the red zone. So that that's big for Notre Dame. Um, Dye 
his running ability made the defense kind of respect that aspect of their game, and it it opened up lanes uh, in the passing game for them. So him being out is big. Another thing I'm going to say, and this is like a poorly kept secret in Los Angeles. Caleb Williams is an asshole. (laughs) Like, I'm going to just come out and say it. He's an asshole to people he shouldn't be an asshole to. It's not a secret. Uh, His body language, he's very high and low. He's not really even keeled. Um, you saw that at the beginning of the UCLA game. He was really down on his teammates. He's yelling at Lincoln Riley on the sidelines. He's he's getting after his guys. Now, when things are going well, he rides at high. He's extremely talented. But I, I think his body language and his attitude will suffer if Notre Dame can get after him, and it will affect his performance. Oregon State got after him. He looked miserable on the sidelines. Now, granted, they did bounce back. He did lead them to a game-winning drive. And the only defense that they've faced this season that's comparable to Notre Dame is Oregon State. They're actually tied with Notre Dame in scoring defense at 27th in the country, and they needed a drive in the final minute to win that one. So listen, yes, their offense is incredible, but there is a path here for Notre Dame, and it starts with frustrating that quarterback who I love to hate. And to be honest, nothing, nothing. He's up there with like some of the top USC villains for me now, and nothing would make me happier than shutting him up on Saturday night. Yeah, this is kind of an aside, but he's sort of got this like uh... – It's kind of like J.D. McCoy vibe to him. It's just like this overbearing father uh, who's just way too involved in his son's life, just like looking for his son to get the best deal and just badgering coaches wherever he goes, following Lincoln Riley around. He's a terrible leader and yells at his teammates, but very talented. So anyways, um, that's enough taking shots at a college kid's personality for today. But anyways, (laughs) uh, you know where we stand now. All right, tell us about the defense, because I think we spent enough time in the offense. Well, uh, the good news is uh, it's terrible. Um, And to be honest, their performance last week kind of defied logic. They forced four turnovers, yet they still allowed 45 points. You know how hard that is to do? That's really hard to do. (laughs) Um, It's almost impressive, honestly. Uh, uh, Now, you've heard a lot of people point to the fact that USC leads the nation in turnover margin, as well as in interceptions forced. Those stats are correct. Again, it's almost logic-defying, once again, when you look at how poor they are across essentially every other metric. Here's the other thing. Seven of their nation-leading 18 interceptions came in their two escapes against UCLA and Oregon State. They had three against UCLA and four against the backup quarterback from Oregon State, and they, like we said, barely escaped in that game. Another four came against uh, Rice. They had three pick-sixes that game, too, which yeah, they, is just kind of ridiculous. Um, in fact, the only game they don't have a pick in this year was the loss to Utah. There's some other kind of trends about that Utah game that I I think are telling that we'll get into later, but here are really the bad metrics. And I got to give credit to Jamie Uyama from Irish sports daily for pointing all these out because you just see all these hundreds and it's just like, geez, they, they're awful across the board, but they're 128th in EPA per rush and 120th in opportunity rate. 104th in first downs allowed per game, and 100th in third down percentage. They're also 90th, okay, so not 100, in red zone touchdown percentage, 109th in EPA, 123rd in defensive success rate, 99th in points per drive, and 91st in FEI. To put it bluntly, Notre Dame is going to have success running the football on them. It would honestly be embarrassing if they did not. I would be shocked by that. Honestly, I'll be kind of upset if we get stopped at all. Um, But in many ways, I could see this game plan mirroring that which was used against Clemson, which, by the way, is a much better defense with six draft picks 
on the defensive line. Did you see how that one went? Two first-rounders? Yes. Now, this is where I, I kind of give it some pause. I can't help but think that Drew Pine might actually look good against this USC defense. Like, it's it's that bad. Um, and further, there's going to be an opportunity for Michael Mayer to leave his stamp on Notre Dame in what is almost assuredly going to be his last game in the blue and gold. There was once another just kind of shortening him this week. For whatever reason, Brock Bowers was named the Blitnikoff finalist, which, by the way, is a receiver award. So, like, I'm not even saying that Michael Mayer should have been on it, but Bowers should have been either. When you look statistically, Mayer is better in every category. But you, you think he knows about that? I think he probably does. Um, and, and here's why I think that he might have an opportunity. In USC's loss to Utah, Cam Rising had 30 completions for 415 yards. 16 of those completions and 234 of those yards went to Utah's tight end, Dalton Kincaid. That's that's not a typo. That Literally, over half the completions and almost half the yards. It's just unbelievable. Can, to say the least, USC's linebackers are pretty stiff in coverage, and I have to believe Tommy Reese has been salivating, thinking of ways to get Mayer and bigger bodies like Jaden Thomas and Deion Colsey involved. Now, I guess... Why we might not see so many passes besides the obvious thing that Drew Pine is the quarterback is that while I do think he can have some success, if you start throwing the ball like that, you might score too quickly and give Caleb Williams too many opportunities on the offensive side of the ball. So that's why I could see them just kind of sticking to just running, running, running and getting 40, 45 carries. I don't know how you feel about that. I think Notre Dame should definitely prioritize running the ball until USC proves that they can stop it or even contain it. Because USC cannot get stops, but they can get takeaways. Every time that Drew Pine drops back to pass, I think we're all going to be holding our breath because that is what USC wants. They just want the opportunity to create a turnover, get a sack, create a havoc play, something to stop Notre Dame's offense. If Notre Dame's running like four to five yards per carry, like they're going to keep running. We know Tommy Reese, and we know what he wants to do. That being said... Drew Pine has shown against BYU, North Carolina, first half against Navy. He can make some throws against some poor defenses, and that's what USC has. So when the opportunity presents itself for Pine to make a play, I think Notre Dame will do it, but I don't think they're going to force it when they don't have to. Yeah, I I think that makes sense. Um, Some other notes. You just heard how bad all those metrics are, yet somehow their defensive line coach, Sean Nua, is a Broyles Award semifinalist. Uh, presumably that's because Tuli Tuapolotu has had a very strong season. He's had 11 and a half sacks, but guess what? Against Utah, the Trojans had zero sacks, which was probably the best offensive line they faced all year up to this point. Um, my biggest concern is basically what we just said, is Tuapolotu's big 6'4 frame getting a hand on one of Pine's passes. They also have a 6'6", 200-pound linebacker. I think he is a little bit injured, but... Yeah, he's a, he's actually a stud. How has he not just broke? I mean, that's probably why he's banged up. <laughs> yeah. If you're six six two hundred, those dimensions don't don't. I'm excited match up. for you to see him on the field because it is bizarre. It is like seeing <laughs> a center in basketball playing inside linebacker. It, he just dwarfs so many of the receivers. It's really interesting, but he is good. Although his health status, as you mentioned, is a bit up in the air right now. Right. Um, other than that, I guess I could point to their corner, Makai Blackman. He's a fine player, but I let's be honest. USC's gotten some credit because they get a lot of turnovers. Great. 
This defense is garbage. <laughs> Frankly, calling it a defense at all feels generous. And I've never understood why Alex Grinch has ever received praise because he's never had a good defense. When he was at Ohio State in 2018, that defense stunk too. And when then he went to Oklahoma, those defenses stunk. Do you remember the 2019 playoff game against Joe Burrow? That was his defense, okay? Why, why is he thought, thought highly of in coaching circles? I don't understand it. Notre Dame should absolutely have their way with, off, with SC offensively. And, and Tommy Reese... Three and one as a player, and four and zero as a coach so far against the Trojans. Probably understands this rivalry better than anybody who's involved in this game on Saturday. I think he's going to be dealing. Um, Estiman Diggs could go for 150 each, and I wouldn't be surprised. I just I really like the way Notre Dame matches up offensively against this porous, porous Trojan defense. Yeah, I agree on all accounts, and I'm really excited to see what Tommy has dialed up because. We, we know about the scan offense. They've moved away from that slightly lately, but they do love motion. And this game, we're probably going to see more motion for Notre Dame than we have all year because USC's defenders, they don't really see offense. They don't really move well. They, they kind of get lost there with their eyes. They don't have great eyes. So I think that's what Notre Dame is going to do. But now let's get uh, into the special teams because this is important. At least it is to Notre Dame. Because USC doesn't have a special teams coordinator. Lincoln Riley doesn't think it's necessary. And it shows like their kicker stinks. He's 12 and 18 on the year. He had a kick that was so bad against UCLA that I literally laughed out loud. I I could not believe that was a real attempt. Now, he did bounce back. I think he had another one uh, or maybe two later in the game. And look, man, if Notre Dame can force them to punt, which isn't going to be easy for all the reasons we just mentioned... They will have a great chance to block it. And look, I'm going to go on the record now. I think this is my third try at it, so I can't get too much credit if it does happen. Chris Tyree is going to house one this Saturday. I don't know if it's going to be on offense. I think it's actually more likely going to be on the kick return, but I think it's going to happen, and I think a huge special teams play will make the difference in the game for Notre Dame. I like that. And, yeah, we just spoke about this defensive line coach unexplicably still being on the Broyles Award list. Brian Mason was cut from that. If you give him a week to look at all this tape and this team doesn't have a special teams coach, I think if they can force him to punt, I like our odds of blocking one and housing it. Um, But to your point, UCLA didn't get a stop until the last drive of the game. That's why you can't put – you can't put so much stock into these Pac-12 offenses because the defenses are just atrocious. Yeah, they're horrible. And uh, it's funny to think about, like, USC prepping for this game and they're looking at, wait a second, like, Notre Dame does stuff on special teams. We're going to actually have to beat and try to figure this stuff out. Like, I don't know how it's going to work. But if they don't put that much attention into special teams, Notre Dame is probably going to make you pay. All right, let's get into some questions here. Uh, We had a ton of good ones. Uh, This first one comes from at Drew Brennan 77, who asks, is USC actually a 6-4 and team that just has an amazing QB? And how frustrating is it to see them be at 10-1 and and the Irish be at 8-3, and knowing how different our season could have been with better QB play? This is a great question, and I really appreciate it because when I saw this come in yesterday on Twitter, it was right as I was listening to the Shamrock just gush over USC, and I found the praise so kind of unfounded, really. Um, Caleb Williams is very good. We don't need to talk about it. And, and yes, to answer your question, Drew, USC would be close to 500 without him. However, as I've mentioned, this team has not been tested at all. They're 10 and one mark with 33 transfers and 11 transfers starting against this Pac-12 league. And they didn't play Oregon. Honestly, it feels like just putting makeup on a pig in a lot of ways. I, I kind of feel like they've sort of limped the 10 and one and they're not a very impressive 10 and one team. That's why it's taken them so long to really kind of get any 
I guess, clout or just like following in the media. And I think now the media is trying to build them up because it's better for the sport when USC is good, much like it's better for the sport when Notre Dame is good. But this is a team of paid mercenaries. That's what it is. And I think they're finally going to get exposed Saturday night when they get their first test. Uh, That said, from the Notre Dame perspective, I don't get too bogged down or frustrated with that just because of everything that happened with Tyler Buckner missing the year. And the fact that he did play most of that game and they still lost to Marshall. Um, Is it frustrating? Sure. But I've tried not to dwell on that too much just because I feel like there have been other flaws at different points in the year where I'm like, all right, this was just not going to happen this year. But I, I can understand the frustration. Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. The only problem is uh, they do have an amazing QB, and that's the reason why they're 10-1. and one. And you mentioned they didn't, haven't played Oregon. Hell, they haven't played Washington either. They're no. ranked 13th. They played Utah. They lost to them. They played yeah. Oregon State and won barely. Those are the ranked Pac-12 teams. They managed to avoid two of them, lose to one, and scrape by the other. So, yeah, I mean, they they are 10-1 and one because they have one of the best players in college football at the most important position, and they play a very weak schedule. Yes, correct. Next question comes from at putty underscore ball. Will we see much LB spy from Al Golden's defense, or do we contain Caleb Williams with the defensive line? So Marcus Freeman said this week, uh, earlier this week, I believe, that he doesn't think that incorporating a QB spy is always a great idea. And I actually tend to believe him there. And also, from Notre Dame's personnel standpoint, who would it be? I mean, Kali right. is probably the most athletic of the linebackers who gets significant playing time, but do you trust him in this position to to just spy Caleb Williams? Leofau is athletic, but I think he's much better downhill just trying to get after the QB, not trying to mirror him. Could it be Jack Kaiser? Maybe. But I think what Notre Dame is going to do is try to get pressure with four and drop seven into coverage and then just try to play his own and uh, keep everything in front of him because even though Caleb's worst games have come against the Blitz. If Notre Dame can get pressure with just four, I think they're going to at least give it a try and, and try to play a little bit, not prevent, but a little bit soft coverage. I agree. And yeah, I, I heard Freeman say that earlier this week. And I, I just think Notre Dame's going to have to get pressure and play disciplined defense. And by the way, I do think they will get pressure because, yes, I know you said that the Joe Moore Award thing is not a fluke for USC's offensive line, but. Um, I am still not completely sold on that group, given who they've played this year. And I do think that Isaiah Foskey in what could be his last game in the blue and gold is going to have a night. Yeah, I mean, how much of their offensive line and, and their success was due to the fact that Caleb Williams and Travis Dye were their also, main ball Yes, carriers. that's another great point, is that um, Caleb Williams's ability to evade sacks is just, it's it's very good. It's um, very good. So, you got to get him down. Yes, so that's something Notre Dame's going to have to do. And it's actually something that, Frankly, they struggled with at times earlier in the year. Um, so we're going we're gonna to have to improve on that Saturday night. All right, this next question, two people asked pretty much the same question. First one, at Sean O'Brien, seven. Similar game plan to Ohio State or more aggressive this time? And then at Aiden Anderson, 61, asked, is this game going to be similar to Ohio State? So kind of like I alluded to earlier, I think it could be similar from a time management standpoint. Like you're going to want to limit USC's possessions just because of how dynamic Caleb Williams can be. However, this defense that USC has is much more susceptible to the pass than Ohio State's and susceptible to just movement, I guess, in general than Ohio State's. Uh, and Notre Dame has Jarrett Patterson and a much better offensive line playing Saturday than they did September 3rd. So I, I just don't – I don't know how much you can take away from something that happened 12 weeks ago. Um, so that's – but I guess to answer your question, I could see it just from a limiting possession standpoint being some parallels there. 
yeah, they're going to try to control the clock and play keep away to an extent. Uh, and, and as I was saying earlier, USC can't get stops. They can get big plays and takeaways. So Notre Dame is not going to try to give them any opportunity unless they absolutely have to. I, I will say getting a fast start is pretty imperative for Notre Dame. That did not happen against Ohio State. They had that huge play to Lorenzo Styles in the first play, and then they stalled. I think they're going to be a little bit more aggressive in the red zone this week. So uh, that's one difference compared to Ohio State. All right, next question comes from Michael Bonello. Can we expect a heavy dose of 31 personnel following its dominance against Boston College? What would you consider a heavy dose? Because I could see them incorporating that like maybe five plays, and I could see it being successful. I mean, they hit Logan Diggs on that wheel route out of the backfield. That was a really good play, and especially in the conditions, that was a good throw by Drew Pine. Um, but I, I wouldn't say say a heavy dose. I think we're just going to get a, a hell of a lot of digs and estimate running duo, Tom Reese's favorite play, and uh, a lot of motion, like I was saying earlier. So they're going to mix it in. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, and I, I would say that I think five plays sounds just about right, honestly. All right, sort of in that same vein, this one comes from at McMurph7. Should Notre Dame run the ball anywhere outside of the tackles at all? Uh, USC did did have a whole lot of trouble getting Zach Charbonnet down in that UCLA game. Hell, even DTR was out there laying blocks on the outside. So good question. I feel like this is where we should just play the Newt Rockney clip of him saying we're going to run it inside him and outside him because they're going to run it all over the damn place on this god-awful defense. Uh, their defensive ends are constantly out of position. Their defensive tackles are constantly getting blown off the ball. They're going to be able to run the ball, say please. But yes, good question. Yeah, I think they're going to run in, around, and through him. That that's my uh, that's my prediction. Also, I want to give a shout out to Zeke Corral because he had maybe the best game of his career last week against Boston College. He was the offensive MVP. So hell, you got him playing as well as he has, and then Jared Patterson. I don't see why they wouldn't attack the interior of this weak uh, defensive front as well. Absolutely. Okay. Uh, next question. Also combining this one a little. Uh, first leg. Comes from Evan Joyce. How do you think the QB situation will shake out in 2023 now that Minchie committed? And then we have a similar question here from Jack Morris asking to, well, this says predict the 2024 starting quarterback. So I guess that's the following year. Okay, yeah. So Pine, Buckner, Angeli, Minshew, Carr, transfer. He's forgetting Ron Palace at third. Unless he would already graduated by then. <laughs> RP3, baby. Uh, so yeah, if you hadn't heard already, Kenny Minshew, the four-star quarterback recruit who was originally committed to Pitt, who decommitted and then all signs indicated he was going to commit to Notre Dame. Well, he did. Now it's official. Uh, He's going to be enrolling at Notre Dame in January, assuming everything goes to plan there. So as for next year, my guess would be it's going to be a grad transfer competing with Tyler Buckner. Who that transfer is going to be, who wins that battle, I don't know. I don't think we're going to have a situation like Notre Dame had in 2021 when Jack Cohn arrived and he was the starter from day one. Unless Buckner just wants to leave and doesn't want to be in another quarterback competition, in which case that might be the case if they just bring in a grad transfer, he is the starter. But I think it's going to be a competition. could be Buckner. We'll see. It'll be something to follow over the ensuing weeks and months. As for 2024, man, who the hell knows? Like, this is so difficult to predict now. I guess if Buckner is still at Notre Dame, it's likely going to be him. But uh, our recent history at Notre Dame tells you it's probably going to be the quarterback you least expect that ends up being uh, the starter. Like, no one expected it to be Deshaun Kaiser, uh, Ian Book, and now we got Drew Pine. So maybe Angeli, but I guess if if I had to make a bet now, uh, Minchie is probably the best bet. I don't know. How do you feel about it? 
I'm going to say Buckner both years. I haven't given up on him yet, and I think he is going to be very good the next two years and come back from injury. I don't think he's going to run away. His sister just signed to play soccer at Notre Dame, so I don't see him leaving. Um, I think that he is going to be the start of the next two years. Yeah. But I do think they'll bring in a transfer, and that guy will be a serviceable backup. Yeah, so who are the names we've heard thrown around? Like Devin Leary from NC State. He's coming off a torn pack. Some people think Hudson Card, who is Quinn Ewers' backup at Texas. Like, if Notre Dame got Hudson Card, and I'm Tyler Buckner, I'm like, okay. Like, I can beat this dude out. You know what I mean? Right, right. All right, what do we got next here? This one comes from Mark Kowalik. This is a tough one. Predict Notre Dame's record versus USC for the next decade. Also, any natties for either team? 10-0 and Notre Dame. Um, How honestly, many uh, I'm going to say two. Um, no, I mean, well, I'm serious about the two, but let's say it's like seven to three Notre Dame. It's also going to depend on, I don't know how long Lincoln Riley is going to be there. Uh, I, th- I would think that Marcus Freeman would be at Notre Dame for a while, given that things go well. And, you know, the two national championships I just alluded to, but, uh, <laughs> I could very easily see Lincoln Riley leaving for, I don't know if it's the NFL or just more money somewhere else, but I could see that. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna take a slightly more measured approach and say six and four Notre Dame, just because it's a rivalry that Notre Dame has dominated for the past decade. And usually these things level out eventually, unless it's Michigan and Ohio State, which Ohio State has just dominated for the better part of the past two decades despite the loss last season. And I'm with you. I think Lincoln Riley is going to uh he's gonna leave eventually. I think he'll probably be at USC if you set the over-under at five, that, that'd be a really interesting bet. Um, but he'll probably get a few on Notre Dame. Just it, It's a rivalry. They, they've turned it around so quickly. Uh, and the fact of the matter is, this is going to be one of the toughest games in the schedule every, every year as long as he's there. But it's also going to be one of the most exciting. So sort of a give and take there. Uh, next question comes from at Dino Bambino. If Notre Dame beats SC, is this the most successful season a first-year ND coach has had since ERA? So I was looking this up, and it's definitely up there. Uh, If Notre Dame were to win out, it would actually tie Tyrone Willingham's first-year record in 2002 at 10-3. Charlie Weiss went 9-3 in 2005. That was pretty good, but that was including the bowl game. Uh, Dan Devine went 8-3 in his first year, so Notre Dame already has three losses. It's not going to be better than any of the coaches I just mentioned, but if Notre Dame does win out, we're going to look at that 10-3 and record a hell of a lot differently than we looked at Tyron Willingham's 10-3. and So from that aspect, I would say, yeah, it's, it's probably one of the most successful seasons a first-year ND coach has had. I mean, how outrageous would that be to say you've lost to Marshall and Stanford? Yeah. And then, <laughs> but, and but, then beat but like you USC have two top five, yeah. six wins. Yeah, it just goes to show you how nutty this season has been. But it's you know it's a debut season. We sort of anticipated some growing pains. I don't maybe not right. <laughs> maybe not the ones that showed up. But uh, yeah, it's been a weird year. Okay, this next one comes from at Trenton Dunn Seven. If you follow us on Instagram or Twitter, you saw the post today. Trent Dunn is a great family friend of ours. He's a first lieutenant in the Air Force, and he was listening to our episode from the sky during his flight today. It was really cool. We really appreciate the support from him. And he asked. What is Notre Dame's favorite Thanksgiving food, and what is USC's favorite Thanksgiving food? So what do you think, Luke? Whew, that's a good question. And, yeah, that was a really cool photo. Um, Man, I'm going to say that I think Notre Dame is just going to be turkey just because it's always relevant, always there. And then I'm going to say USC is just some just vile dessert. 
<laughs> that looks like it's okay. And then after you take a couple bites, you're just like, I'm sick to my stomach. Uh, what What is even in this? Like, just made, probably some like gross vegan thing from LA. I don't know. <laughs> you think like in LA people have green juices at the Thanksgiving table? Honestly, uh, yeah, I, I could probably see green juices and ketamine. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, I was going to say USC is cranberry sauce. Uh, it looks good, and then you taste it, and I'm personally out on it. Is that a hot take? Do you like cranberry sauce? Yeah, I don't like it either. Um, right, so there we go. Notre Dame is turkey, though. It's tradition. It's a staple of every Thanksgiving, no matter if it's good or bad. Sometimes you probably wish the turkey was a little bit better, had a little bit more flavor, but you're going to eat it anyway and enjoy it. So I think the the closest comp there is Notre Dame is turkey. Yeah, okay. We're in agreement. Uh, next one. I think this is directed to you. Uh, at Mike.O'Brien64, which is more real, the LA area sports fan base or WWE? <laughs> yeah, shout out Mike O'Brien. This is a great question. So I don't want to lump like LA area sports fans all in one group for this question because there are actually very rabid Dodgers fans and there are diehard Lakers fans, but usually they're exclusive to that one specific team and not like all the teams in the city, if you know what I mean. So I'm going to say WWE because those people, man, even though they know it's not real, they live and die with that shit. So I'm going to say WWE fans, uh, even though the sport itself might be a little bit uh, fabricated, but uh, there's a ton of diehard fans. So I would say they're certainly more passionate. Okay. Yeah, I'll take your word for it. (laughs) Okay. I think this one is directed for you. Uh, this one comes from at Danny Feldmeyer. Would you trade a win versus USC for the seventh grade basketball conference title? Oof. Well, direct answer is that we're going to get both anyway, so don't have to worry about this. But, man, um, I don't know. I, I might get investigated here for throwing games, but uh, I'm going to say I would not trade that. I think I'd much rather want to win over USC <laughs> than seeing the Chicago uh, – Youth Catholic League Skyline League title banner get hung up at Southport and Belden. So, yeah, uh, I'm uh, I'm going for a win over USC. So I, I guess I would trade it. Yeah, yeah. there you go. <laughs> I guess there's your answer. How many points are you guys giving up a game? Like eight? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's pretty low. Uh, it's I, I gotta think we're leading the league in defense. Yeah, I love that. All right, let's get to some score predictions here as we wrap this up. Uh, you can lead us off. All right, so um, I'm going to end this year just kind of like very, very on brand. But uh, I'm saying 41 to 20, Notre Dame. I, I've said this throughout this podcast. I don't think this SC team has been tested by a good team all year. They did lose to a Utah team who lost to freaking Florida, uh, who lost to freaking Vanderbilt. And now they're going to lose to another name team who lost to freaking Marshall. Uh, in many ways, I feel like this USC team has limped to 10 and 1, been the beneficiary of a weak schedule. And I just think Notre Dame is going to bludgeon them to death. This is this is not the team USC wants to see sandwiched between a rival win and a Pac-12 title game. I think Estimate and Diggs are about to walk in your trap and take over your trap. And I expect the SC fans, so to speak, to be leaving midway through the fourth quarter. That's on brand, but it's not like Notre Dame 50, USC 3. So I, I think that's pretty. that's a pretty realistic take. Uh I'm going 34-27 Notre Dame, and I don't think the score will tell the full story. I think Notre Dame will be in control of this game for most of it. Uh, they've shown up for every big game they played in this season, and this is honestly the biggest one of them all. 
Um, except you can make the case that that season opener against Ohio State top five matchup, big deal. But uh, this one just it just means so much for all the reasons we mentioned earlier. And Notre Dame matches up with Notre Dame matches up well with USC. And as cliche as it is, when you can run the ball and physically impose your will on your opponent, you're probably going to win way more often than not. There's going to be times when Caleb Williams and Jordan Addison make incredible plays, even when they're defended well. It, it's just going to happen, and that's okay. Like you're just you can accept it and make sure that it doesn't affect the next play for Notre Dame. It's going to be a lot more consistent throughout the game, and I think it's just going to be Diggs and Estime. Keep feeding them until USC can stop it. I don't think they will, and I think Notre Dame is going to get a big play on special teams or defense. Hell, they could get a pick on Caleb Williams. He had an Both. absolutely awful. Yeah, hell, give me more. There you go. All right, you got any final thoughts as we wrap this one up? I have two, unrelated to uh, to Notre Dame, but somewhat related, actually. Uh, big day on Saturday. We have two friends of the podcast slash one former guest of the podcast coaching for state titles on Saturday prior to the Notre Dame USC game. Uh, first shout out goes out to Spencer Scannell, Notre Dame 2017 grad. He's coaching at Don Bosco prep in New Jersey. They got the state title back to back years are in this game. Uh, Don Bosco is of course where Elijah Shoemate went Jabril Peppers for a couple years, uh, football powerhouse, See how they how they win that one. He's the running backs coach at Don Bosco. And then we have the Providence Catholic Celtics playing in the IHSA for a state title. Tyler Plants, head coach, first year, just resurrecting the program over there. And in his first year, making it to the state title. Tyler, we've had him on this podcast. Um, walked on to Notre Dame, was a coach at Notre Dame for a number of years. Uh, really good to see that. And, and we wish them the best of luck on Saturday. Yeah, shout out Spencer, shout out Coach Tuna. Wish you guys the best, and hopefully when we are back on Sunday, we'll have good news to report from their state championship. But that will do it for this episode of Sun Saturday Irish. We hope you guys enjoy a great and relaxing Thanksgiving and enjoy the game on Saturday night. Uh, Thank you guys for tuning in again. Thanks to those who submitted questions. I hope you're satisfied with our answers. Luke and I will be back uh, early next week to go over our experience of the game and recap everything that happens on the field Saturday night in the Coliseum. So we will talk to you then. Go Irish. Go Irish.